but she didn't tell me she could. Last time you were in here, did I send you a link? Yes. Okay. So I don't. Not that you had time to listen to it, but no, I sent it. I did. But I, yes. but I sent it. Okay. So that was that ended up going quite a bit over, because we were talking about the Akeda, which I'm glad we did talk about the Akeda because it not only was it a new way to think about the Akeda for me at least, um, but also really pulled together the whole concept of this Ahava and the Chesed and the importance of concretizing um, the Ahava into Chesed. So what that means is we still have a little bit of other material left here about Laman Shemova Ahava, that Hashem is maybe Goa Livnevenehem. Hashem brings a redeemer to the children of their children, to their children's children, for the sake of his name, with love. So with regard to for the sake of his name, um, I just want to point out something that, um, yeah, I'm really confused, hold on one second. I'm really, really confused. Um, that the, with regard to for the sake of his name with love, which was that the Maharal said, which we mentioned at Mrs. Khan's house, with regard to Purim, that the purpose of Geula, God brings Geula in order that we can praise him and make known that he does chesed and tov for his nation. So... That's just something I wanted to bring out here because that's really what it says. He brings a redeemer to their children's children for the sake of his name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? That's what the Maharal said, right? Something like that? Okay. Purpose of Gil. Okay. Um, I have two little pieces here. Little. Nothing from Swasemis is little, no matter how short it is. But two pieces from the Svasemis that I wanted to share also. Um, the first one is this, and this, this is going to take us in today's direction, which is what do we take away from the fact that Hashem will, is bringing a Redeemer, it's in process, to the children's children for the sake of his name with love. And this is really going to introduce us to that. So the first one is the Swasemes, actually on Parsha's Tzav, which we just read a couple days ago. Vivadai, certainly. This is really amazing stuff. <laughs> certainly. Kasher Hashem Yisbarach, Bachar Banu. When Hashem, may he be blessed, chose in us, selected us, Yeshlachol Ish Yisrael Lehaamin, every Jewish person then needs to trust Okay, he doesn't give all the sources for it. We'll see a little bit more behind it. But let's, for the moment, trust in the Svasemes and say, let's assume that what he's saying is on a foundation, which it always is. Because Svasemes isn't like, what's that word, like sort of floaty, mushy? Like, he may be a chassid, but it's it's all Torah. Okay? Yeah, it's all Torah. If Hashem, in other words, if Hashem loves us, we love Him. Now that's that's quite a remarkable statement. Like that's why I'm saying, like for the moment, we're just going to take it as it is. But certainly, it's the sort of thing where you say, "Whoa, where'd that come from? Where does that come from? If Hashem loves me, then it must be that I love Him." So there are a lot of different directions, even based on the things that we've already learned, where we could start to say, "Oh." Like, yeah, I guess those are implications. There are certain implications. What do we say about Ahava? 
Let's just like rewind for a minute there. Okay, so Rav Hirsch on Ava. I don't remember what page it's on, but I've been taking out all the flags, so it doesn't just pop right up. Um, Rav Hirsch said about Ahava that we love other people, we love others because we see them as necessary parts of our lives and of the value of our lives. And that gives us a kind of appreciation for them because if not for them, what meaning would we find in our lives? It's a funny kind of, it's a first step of love. There is a sort of selfish starting point there which is me, my life, my value. But it does it turns one away from looking at oneself to looking at the other. So as a first step, it's a really good one. I heard somebody say recently that when you're thinking about you can think about your own like how you're feeling about something or you can think about how someone else is thinking about something, but you don't really think about both of those at once. And therefore, when you're able to think about how other people are feeling, you can, you can put yourself in a state of selflessness or self-transcendence in a way that you can't mm-hmm. when you're just thinking about yourself, which is interesting because you could feel that I'm, what am I doing? I'm like just thinking about myself. How could I change that? Mm-hmm. The answer is actually to, to take the action of saying, I wonder how that other person feels about that. And that That's process so on its own helps move your feelings around to that place. It's like the art of mediation or negotiation. You have to look at both sides and see yes. see where the overlaps are. Right, which is very hard to do if you're one of the sides. That's why you need a mediator. Which is what the mediator is for, but sometimes we have to be the mediator. Um, but then there was a higher step of that. And a higher step was to see in a person that they are a child of God. I think there were three steps, and that's why I would love to just pull out. Let me see. There are actually three stages to it. Part one was not to do things, not to hate people. I was like, step one was just don't hate people. But that wasn't the love. Chapter 16. Here we go. Okay. All right. So number one is to see the other person as necessary to your own life. So now you start to have value for them, and you want them to be there, and you want them to be a part of your life. The next step was that through love of Hashem, we come to love other people. We say, this is a child of Hashem. He loves me and created me. He loves them, he created them. And then the highest level was to emulate Hashem and to be the fullest expression of ourselves. So Hashem has created us with the ability to love and that that's the finest flower of our mission in life and raises us up above the other types of creation, the domain somea, chai, the animals, the stones, the plants. It makes us more of what we can become and fulfill our purpose. And it makes us a valid, so a legitimate part of the world. You know, you've been created to be in the world, then, then you fulfill that through love and chesed. Okay, now with regard to Hashem, 
It was love which God desired to be your highest mission, your mark of perfection. And as an example which should constantly spur you on to further progress, he set before you not a human being, <laughs> not even the most godlike, since such a one can never be of perfect stature, can never transcend limitations of space and time, cannot be omnipresent in his lifetime, and with death ceases to be a living example, he set himself before you as a model and said, follow after me with love. Okay. So one thing is then that in emulating Hashem and saying and coming to rely on the fact that he has love for us, we also come to emulate him and rely on the fact that we have love for him. The truth is it's natural. So when a person wants to um, draw nearer to Hashem and feel love for him, because it's not something that, that is automatic. We don't find, like, you know, you read books and you hear, Yira Shamayim, Avas Hashem, and it's like, I don't know who it's talking about. Like, is that talking about some kind of very high type of tzaddikim that, do we know these people? Like, step one is to write down what you're grateful for. Because the actual process of doing that, you know, it's, you have to do it when you have a certain, a lot of time that won't be interrupted because you're going to start with certain things. And then as you think about it, you start to realize there's other things that you're grateful for. And there's other things that you're grateful for. And there's other people who have been important in your life at key moments. And there's other events that have happened in your life at key times. And there are things that happened to you that were maybe painful or maybe positive and helped you develop in a new way and become a bigger person. There are so many parts that the longer you think about it, the more it develops as a concept in your mind. And at some point in doing that, you can start to say, wow, I feel loved. Hashem has done so much for me. That's, that by itself is a very profound moment to suddenly look and say, I feel loved. I can, I've created a Divrei Hayamim, a book of chronicles, and I can see that God loves me. And maybe in one day or another day, it's hard for me to remember it because I get focused on what hurts. But when I, do, when I do look at all of this, I realize there's a pattern here. Hello, good morning. Hello. Good so morning. Happy. So happy you made it. Good morning, Betty. Good to see you. Hello, hello. Your house smells good. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> they say that uh, coffee is uh, better to smell than to drink. <laughs> glad to help. Pardon. Okay, I'm going to get you uh, your yeah, a little water. Okay. Thank you. Hello. Nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you. But there's another piece, which is that the more you feel loved, the more there is a natural reaction to love back oh. and that that's separate from what we were talking about before which is what is what would be the let's say logical underpinning or the psukim that we would learn from to understand about loving Hashem mm -hmm. is that there is a natural desire to love back when you feel loved okay so he says in that Hashem has chosen us each person really needs to trust that he himself has a clinging and a love for Hashem. And al-zoha'ah it is about that love that we have for Hashem 
that the Pasuk says, Mayim rabim lo yuchlu lechabos. Even many great waters cannot extinguish the fire of my love for God. And furthermore, it says, A fire shall always burn on the Mizbeach. He says, that's not just a command. When the Torah says a fire shall always burn on the Mizbeach, that's not just a commandment. That's a promise. A fire shall always burn on the Mizbeach of your heart. That it is never possible to extinguish the flame that is embedded within the heart of a, of a Jew for Hashem who is one. That is something that is embedded, it's integrated into us. There's, um, it's something that's nice to hear. We're definitely going to want to explore it more. But it's something that it's almost, the reason we need to explore it more is because it's a scary thing. It's a big thing to trust in. That's mm-hmm. not a small thing to, any time you have to use emuna, and you're going to use it and you're going to say, okay, I can, I can lean on this. I have convinced myself intellectually that there's something solid. You know, when they tell you, cross this bridge, it's made of tempered glass, it won't break under you. Right, but you look down and your gut is screaming because you see that you're hundreds of feet from the canyon floor. How do you walk out on that? That's trust. That's not blind faith because intellectually you know it's safe, but you can still have a physical reaction of fear. They, they, are, they are in contradiction to one another, but it's not contradictory for a person to feel that. The question is, what do you do when you feel that kind of fear, and yet you know for a fact that it's safe, right? That's where Amuna comes in. And that's why, despite the fact that Amuna is not blind faith by any stretch, it sometimes can be a, a scary thing to lean out into, you know, to jump out of the window and say, yes, I'm sure those firemen will catch me when I fall, right? I've seen 20 other people jump before me and they're all okay. It still might be scary to jump out a window. So I think it's an astonishing thing and also helpful in illuminating ourselves when you realize how scary it is to think of trusting in one's own love for God. Because logically, why would that be scary? It's scary because there are implications to it. And you start to sense them as soon as you think about it. And yet, it's something you can rely upon. And really, he's corresponding it to the love Hashem has for us. And I think this is also what we refer to when we say Mode'ani in the morning. We say, Mode'ani lefonecha, I acknowledge before you Hashem, Melechai v'kayam, the God who is living and everlasting and source of life. Shechazarta binishmasi, that you have returned my soul to me. Bechemla, with... Kindness or mercy, Rabba Emuna Secha. Great is your Emuna. So, what's his Emuna? What's God's Emuna? Hashem's Emuna is in us. That's not blind faith. God's not stupid. And He knows what we're capable of. Based on what He knows, based on what He knows, He has Emuna in us. That's what is remarkable. That, that is pretty scary. It's scary and wonderful at the same time.
I think probably what makes it scary is that it's so wonderful that if you believe it, you don't want to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit what makes it scary. It's the fear of disappointment. And in truth, how did we get this implanted within us? That is the strength of our forefathers. That's what makes them avos, fathers, the, the roots of it all. The rimez al shalosh pa'amim. We hint to this. It's hinted to three times in the Torah. It talks about eish tamid tukad. A fire shall always burn. The eish hamizbeach tukad. The fire on the mizbeach will burn. The eish al hamizbeach and the fire on the mizbeach. That's referring to the three fa- forefathers, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Hislahavus. It's a, a hislahavus. It's a burning flame. That that. You know, when someone says you should do something with hislahavos, it means do it with excitement and, and fire and passion. It's a passion that comes in three flavors. Ava, Yira, and Emes. Shekol Eila Hashlosha Nimtzah and B'vnei Yisrael. And all three of those are permanently embedded in our spiritual DNA. V'hu b'chinas Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. That is the aspect of Hashem is the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov. Step back a second. Hashem is the God of Avraham. That means his name is attached to Avraham and that the relationship to Hashem has an aspect of Avraham in it. And the relationship to Hashem has an aspect of Yitzchak to it. And our relationship with Hashem has an aspect of Yaakov to it. Ava, Yiran, Emes. All of these we have today in our relationship with Hashem because of them and we relate to him in these different ways and they are they are passionate and unquenchable they are always there they can be covered up with a lot of stuff but underneath it all it can always be pulled out you have a story I'm not good with these like stories from the Gemara I'm afraid because I don't learn them, and I, I just hear them. So unless I can find its source, like I don't, and I didn't plan to say it. So, but there was, I don't know, would you call him a renegade Jew who was assisting the Romans? Mm-hmm. He had gone over to the Roman side, and when they raided, it, he he was giving them inside information to help them conquer the Temple Mount area, which was like the last holdout during the Roman War, and um, they went in. And they said, as a reward, you could take something out with you from the Beis HaMikdash. So he goes into the Beis HaMikdash and he comes out with a menorah. And the general, I assume, I guess it was Titus, I don't know, said, that's not for you. (laughs) That's for a king. We'll bring that back to Rome. Go pick something else. Okay, so you're talking about somebody who was not exactly a tzaddik, this, this Jewish man, right? He's been aiding and abetting the Romans against the Jews and against Hashem's Beis HaMikdash. And then he goes in and he puts his hands on the menorah and walks out with it. And they told him, yeah, leave that here, go pick something else. And he said, I already walked in and stole something once. You want me to do that again? And he didn't do it and they killed him. Meaning, at some point, there is still that flame inside of a person that says, 
this is my God, and he loves me, and I love him, and that far I can't go. And now he had gone that far, but apparently he had gone far enough that although it didn't stop him the first time, he was aghast at himself. Would you like a tissue? No. Okay. <coughs> and, and, could, and did not wish to bring himself to do that again. Which is... Uh, Yeah, apparently. Well, because now he's like not on their side. Like, he's what is what's with that? You know. Yeah. So I hope uh, I hope I'll be forgiven if I said it wrong. I hope I got that. I mean, the gist of the story I got right. I don't remember his name. Anyway. Okay. Okay. The Avos left with the Jewish people. A devekus be'elokus, a desire to cling close and hold close to godliness. Bechol mida v'mida shalahem, with all these midos. And these are the three tefillos every day as well. Of course, shachris minchan Okay. Now I'm going to read another piece, which is from the Sasemes on Lech Lecha. Shebnei Yisrael, mamshichin malchuso yisbarach aleihem, the Jewish people draw down Hashem's kingdom upon them, receiving his rulership, with the strength of our forefathers, Kabbalah's Malchushamayim. So, because they did it first, that is the power that we. We leverage when we do. We don't have that degree of ability on our own. But because our forefathers, I don't know, they, they set it up, they got it in place, so now we have a handle to hang on to to try and use that power. This is why Hashem says in the verse to Avraham, I shall make you into a great nation. Okay, so we don't understand the connection quite yet, okay? But... Avram Avinu accepted Malchus Shemayim. Because he accepted Malchus Shemayim, we are able to accept Malchus Shemayim. The Svasema says that is, that is the reward that Hashem promised him, or the bracha that Hashem, not the reward, the bracha that Hashem promised him, I will make you into a great nation. Avraham himself becomes a great nation. Ki Avram Avinu, Allah Shalom, because Avram Avinu, may he rest in peace, Haya Oved la Hashem Yisbarach Bechol Kocho, he served Hashem with all his strength. Asher Kiviyachal la Ein Shir la Shalem Schar. So to speak, it's, it's too big to reward. Vehaya Zeha Schar, Asher Kola Vodaso Nispashet Bechol Bnei Yisrael, Bonav Ladora Sehem. So God rewards him for his effort. By distributing it, by spreading it out in all of these children, Hashem says, I'm going to take you and multiply you. So there won't be one Avraham Avinu. There will be a hundred million mini Avraham Avinus. And each one of them will have reward. And this is the ultimate blessing to Avraham. But let's explain it. And every movement he made and every, every fact he established becomes then a root within his children and descendants, the Jewish people. 
V'chein kasuv b'medrash. That is similar to what we learn in the medrash. This is a medrash that one hears once a year, somewhere between Rosh Chodesh Shvat and Tu Shvat. <laughs> I don't know any other time it comes across. Birchaso, when the person gives the blessing, ke'et shasul al palgeimayim. That's a pasuk in Tehillim, so that I guess you could come across. That a person should that a blessing that a tzaddik should be like a tree planted by running waters. Mm-hmm. It's a mashal to someone who's walking through a de- uh, uh, wilderness, and they come to an oasis where there's running waters, and there's a beautiful tree, and there's fruit on the tree, and he refreshes himself, he sits in the shade of the tree, he leans his back against the tree, takes some weight off of himself, off his feet and his back, he drinks the water, he eats the fruit, and then he looks around and he says, Elon, Elon, Bama avarechecha, tree, tree, how can I bless you? He doesn't quote the whole thing, so I'll detour here for a moment to just kind of there's famous songs with it so the words are reasonably familiar right how can i bless you you've done something for me even though you're just a tree mm-hmm. what what would i bless you with that there should be should i bless you that you should have fresh cool running water near you you have fresh cool running water near you should i bless you that you be zocha to have many leaves and and shade to be able to give to wayfarers you have that shall i bless you that you should have sweet fruit you have sweet fruit. So what bracha do I give you? The bracha is, shekola nafim sheyetsu mimcha yiyu kamocha. So my blessing to you is that all the branches that come out of you, all the, all the saplings that will grow from your seeds will be like you. That they'll also flourish and they'll also have fruit and they'll also have shade and they'll also have water and they'll be able to give to others. That's the biggest blessing you can give someone. That's what Hashem said when he told Avraham, I will make you into a big nation. That's the bracha to Avraham. It's an unbelievable way to think about it. I'm going to make you into a big nation. In other words, that who comes out of you shall be like you. That's the biggest bracha of all. Why is that the biggest bracha of all? That his strength, nispashet, should like flow outwards and become a great nation. Because Hashem, may he, the Holy One, blessed be He, pays a person in the currency he values. I just paraphrased. That's not what he said. Okay, <laughs> let's be honest. He pays each creation. This is apparently not only limited to people. Scharo, their reward, yoser. What is most beloved to him. And with Avram, may he rest in peace. What, what, what did Avraham value most? What was most beloved to him? His service of God. He proved it with the Akedah, that that was the most important thing to him. So Hashem rewarded him that he should become a great nation. That are selected and unique for Hashem's service. That is, his, that is an ultimate reward. That's a value. Now Hashem made him other brachos also and other promises. But this promise as it's a very beautiful, beautiful explanation. Also has scary implications, right? 
There are some scary implications in there. Like what happens to somebody who values... Right. You think about that. What happens to somebody who values lesser things? So on the one hand, it's reassuring to know Hashem rewards people in the currency they value. On the other hand, we're so... We're so capable of not valuing the right things. <laughs> and how do we prove what we really value? And how do, I mean, this is, it's scary stuff. That was a little bit what we talked about last week with um, the Pachad Rav Hutner quoting the Rabbeinu Yonah on Avos, uh, not on Avos, that, uh, that you can tell a person by what they praise, right? It's a little bit of that, right? What does a person praise? What does a person value? Mm-hmm. How would you change that? I mean, like everything that's especially beautiful, it does have, it has meaning. (laughs) It has meaning and it has implications. Maybe go alivne v'nehem l'ma'an shemo ba'ahava. Okay. Now, this idea, these two ideas really from the Sfas Emes, which are, are related in some ways, Meaning that Hashem rewarded Avraham by, by implanting what Avraham worked so hard to achieve in his children and the fact that we can learn to trust that that is within ourselves. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Are you all right? Mm-hmm. Can I get you anything? What? Can I get anything for no. you? Okay. <coughs> I don't know. All of a sudden, it just went the wrong way. Maybe. Uh, I'm sorry. This idea now we're gonna see put out into a few other little directions. So. Okay. So this is from the Rashi's Chachma. Says this. What does it mean when we say in Shemona Esrei Be'ahava? Hashem will redeem the Jewish people. He will redeem the children of our forefathers for the sake of his name, Be'ahava, with love. He says, we have to realize, imagine that there's a man who divorces his wife because he hates her. He's not likely to remarry her. And if he were to remarry her, it would not, which I mean, you hear... Such things happen, okay? Such things happen, and for various reasons, sometimes very legitimate ones. I, I can think of two cases of people that I know where they were divorced and they remarried because one of the partners, I mean, ex-partners, became very ill. And the other one said, you know what? Like, I, realize, I, I don't know if it's because they realize, you know what, I really do care about you. Whatever the, I don't know what the thinking was. I was not really privy to that. I just had them share that this was the case. They remarried in order that one would take care of the other. That, I mean, to me, that actually speaks of a certain kind of love. It may be a love born of having gone through a lot together. I don't know, you know, but, but at the same time, it's certainly not going to be a marriage that feels like when they first got married. <laughs> <laughs> that it isn't going to be. There's, there's baggage there. There's history there. It might be something quietly special, but it certainly isn't the first love of when they, when they first got married and invited hundreds of people to come dance at the wedding. All right. 
that f- what you might call that first love. Mm-hmm. I think that was a common argument. I think I read this once in a history book, right? This was something that they always used to talk about. Not, not really like this. Um, like in Jane Austen, that sort of 1800 to 1850, this was like a common topic, was what's better, first love or second love? But there they weren't talking about love within one relationship. They were saying the first person you fall in love with is that something that's special and unique that can never be replicated as compared to like that doesn't, let's say that doesn't happen. It's not reciprocated. And then you go on and you love someone else. Maybe that's not so special or something like that. Okay. Sorry, it just came back. I said first love. I'm like, I've heard that. Okay. When, when we say every day that word with love, we are reminding ourselves that God's love for us and his hashpa'a upon us will be as it was originally. Mm-hmm. Hashem will rejoice, like the Pasuk, Yosis, Hashem will be Yosis lehitivcha kimsos chasan al God will rejoice to do good for you the way a chasan rejoices for his kala. Mm-hmm. Who had, a kala that he never sent away before. This isn't their second time getting married. Mm-hmm. Hashem's love is powerful. This is something, this, this is right there in the category of trusting that God loves me and I love him. Realizing that that very first love, no matter what has happened, ultimately we can get back to it. That is very different from the way people are in general, <laughs> let's say. Okay, that's what it means when we say, that love hasn't changed. Okay, you know that word ahava, right? It's 13. Well, 13, you probably have a whole book on 13. That's echad, right? It hasn't changed. It's unchanging. There's a pasuk about you know, God loving us like, like, the, like the bride who followed him for the first time in the wilderness. Yes, right. Zacharti la chesed neoraich. God says, Nirmia, I, I remember the chesed of your youth when you followed me. Mm-hmm. This actually does it say love. Ahavas kulosach, yeah, the love of your, of your bridal time. Right. Okay. Um, here's a different pasuk from Nirmia that the Radak, this is, a, I'm going to quote the Radak on here. The pasuk says, the Ahavas olam, this is the source, by the way, before, before uh, Shema in Myriv, right? In Shachras, we say, Ahava Rabbah, Ahavtanu Hashem Elokeinu. In Mairav, we say, Ahavas Olam. That's from this verse in Yirmiyahu. The Ahavas Olam, love that is everlasting, Ahavtich, I have loved you. Alkein Meshachtich Chesed. Therefore, I have drawn you to me with Chesed. And Radak says, Ahavas Olam Ahavtich, eternal love, I have loved you. God is telling us, my love for you is not temporary love. I loved you for my love to be forever. Therefore, I have drawn you with chesed. That means, I draw you to me with chesed in order that my love will be for you forever, not just temporary. And the Mahari says on that verse, 
just as I demonstrated or revealed or showed love to the early ones, Kmokain Evnech Venivnechs. In such a way shall I build you and you'll be built. Which Evnech Venivnechs is also Livnevenehem, right? That's maybe go Livnevenehem is the Evnevenivnechs. Be'ahava. I shall build you and you'll be built with love. God, it's the same love that he has shown to our forefathers he'll show to us. That's an amazing thing. That's still there. Despite all of our messing up, it's still there. Mm-hmm. The Malbim says, Hashem is saying to you, Ahavas olam ahavtich, an eternal love I love you. Ki ahavas shahayu olam. When it will be reawoken, that love, that's the love you refer to, I guess, Ahavas Klulos, Ahavas Klulos the love when you were first married, your newlywed love mm-hmm. that was between you, that will be reawoken forever. And through the means of this love, Mishachtich, I have drawn you, out of Golos with the Mida of Chesed. It is somehow dependent upon that very first love, which is still quietly there, that when reawoken will be what draws us out of the golos. This love comes through the having found grace in God's eyes in the wilderness. When they found, how does that translate into our golos? That we find grace in God's eyes because of the length of our golos. In other words, we're still That's not something we could have understood. We just think we're struggling along and hope that we're treading water, even if we're not progressing. And what the Malbim is translating that is as, you're still following after me in a wilderness. Therefore, you are still demonstrating the love of, your, of our youth. And because of that, I will bring you back out. And through the means of that which you have taken the burden that you've had to bear for the sake of his name, it's true. We have had to bear a lot of suffering mm-hmm. for the sake of God's name. Mm-hmm. But because of that, because of that, Hashem will redeem us and he will be our, our Lord again with chesed because of the fact that we follow him in a wilderness and we bear the burden of suffering because of him. That is a merit to us. Okay, so, enough time, I would, I'd like to... Okay. Rabbi Lef. Hashem brings a redeemer to their children's children for the sake of his name with love. And he starts by quoting a Ramban, which we've seen a few times now, more than a few times, which is the Ramban at the beginning of Shemos, where he talks about the book of Bereshis, right? That's the forefathers, and the book of Shemos, which starts with Gullus, and then he says the Gullus was not terminated, right, until the end of Pekude. But Pekude is way past, I mean, it's after we got the Torah even, now we've already got the Mishkan. So why is that the end of Gullus? The Gullus was not terminated until the day they returned to the original status of their forefathers. Mm-hmm. Maila Savosa. 
When they came to Mount Sinai and erected the Mishkan, and Hashem returned by residing his Shechina among them, they regained the status of the Avos, who had God's Shechina present in their homes, and were the veritable chariots that conveyed the presence to the world, and then they were considered redeemed. So redemption is the ultimate realization of the potential of the Avos. Meaning the ability, I, I didn't read it into that Ramban. I didn't get it. We, we just saw this how many times in the last two months? I, I must have quoted it three or four times, right? And I never saw what Rabbi Left just said here, even though I had seen this Rabbi Left too. <laughs> but it hadn't registered, right? What is that Geula is coming back to the level of the forefathers? Now, that doesn't, do we think that we are as great as our forefathers? No. But that it is possible to get back to the Mila of the forefathers in terms of Hashem's presence within us and the love between us, that had escaped me. But that is what the Ramban is saying. That is remarkable. The development and perfection of this world depends on the realization of each Jew's individual potential. Meaning each of us then is following that route toward trying to become a mini Merkava, a piece of that Merkava. So the Medrash tells us that the Geula is alluded to in the names of the Shvatim because each separate one contains the potential to bring the world to its goal, and that is the ultimate redemption. Okay, we're going to come back to this idea, um, hopefully, probably after the third bracha, I'm not sure. Okay, so what is that idea that the Geula is indicated in the names of the Shvatim? So that we've seen before. That is when Yaakov wanted to reveal the kates, the end, right? The Medrash says he wanted to reveal the kates and it was concealed from him and so he gave them the bracha instead in Vayichi. And he realized that the word kates, kuf and sadik, didn't appear in their names. So he didn't, he, he, then he thought, oh, maybe I can't reveal it to them. They don't have the end in them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. This should be one here. Here's a pencil. Oh, here's a pen. I can use either one. And then they said, no, but there's also no ches and no tes in our names. In other words, there's no chet in our names. So the problem is not, it's not that he can't reveal it because they aren't worthy, because they are worthy. They don't have sin. So here's what Rav Lef is going to give a different explanation of that scene. Because he says the question you have to ask is, so one second, if Kate's, okay, Kate is not in their name, so they don't have sin. But how do we ignore the fact that Kate's is not in their names? Meaning, does that mean that they don't have the potential for the end in them? So he does it by quoting a different medrash. It's a medrash rabbah, um, appears to be, I don't know, Tzadik Ches Oz which gives the following mashal. A confidant of the king was dying, and he called his children to his bedside to reveal the royal secrets that the king had confided to him. Now, stop and think, why is he revealing the king's secrets? Secrets revealed to him in the first place. Well, because he's a confidant. Oh, yes, why? So that's the question, right? Obviously, the king wishes for him to carry these secrets, either that there should be, either because it's someone he trusts, I mean, obviously it's someone he trusts, but it's somebody he just wishes to bounce things off of, or it could be because you want to always have someone else who knows the code to the safe. 
you know? Like, <laughs> there has to be someone, but then where do you trust it? Somebody, if you write it down, somebody might find it, right? So you share, the king is going to have somebody that he totally trusts in whom he can share his secrets. So presumably, okay, this is me now interpreting onto Rabbi Left's explanation of the Medrash. Presumably, what is the reason that, the, that this confidant is going to tell his children? I mean, if he's such a secure person, why is he sharing the secrets? The answer must be to keep it safe. Because if he's not there, who will hold these secrets? So he wants to share it with his children. Why? Not so they can have the excitement of finding out all the secrets. He shares it with his children in order to, it's like handing them the keys. Like saying, take care of this for the king. I've been taking care of it all along. I can't do it anymore. Please take over. And you carry the keys. You carry the king's secrets. And just as he's about to tell the secrets to his children, this man sees that the king has also come into the room and is standing by his bedside. Awkward. <laughs> right? So now what does he do? So he changes the message and instead tells the children, be careful to honor the king properly. The king is standing there observing and the man says to his children, serve the king loyally, be faithful to him. No matter how the tide seems to turn against him, make sure that he knows that you'll always be loyal and he can trust in you. Mm -hmm. He has done so much good for our family. Thanks to him, you exist, right? We owe him everything. Give your lives for him. Yaakov also wanted to reveal the secrets of Mashiach. Then he saw the Shekhinah by his bedside and he substituted blessings instead. Okay, that's the Medrash. Yaakov saw that Mashiach could come in two possible ways. This is a Gemara. They, I forget who it was. They were walking on uh, Arbel, Har Arbel, which is near Tiveria, and the sun was slowly rising, and one, one of the Chachamim says to the other, that's how Mashiach will come, kima kima, bit by bit, just like when the sun is, the light just so gradually gets brighter and brighter, but you can't tell from moment to moment that it's happening. Right? That's how the messianic era will come in. And the other one says, no, it'll be very quickly with miracles and chauffeur blasts and all of a sudden everything will be different. And both of them together are hinted to in a pasuk, be'ito achishena, in its time I shall hasten it. Okay, so those are two different, uh, presumably not different. I mean, <laughs> once Mashiach once comes, I guess we'll see how the ito and the achishena interplay together. And Yaakov saw that his children had inherent perfection because there was no chait in them. If there was no chait, then there's no need for the long wait till the kates, till the end. You don't have to wait till the end. You could just have redemption quickly. You just have to bring that perfection out and make it actualized. So he says, let's say we think about that and now look back at this medrash with the mashal of the king's confidant who's dying. When he sees the king at his bedside, he thinks if he tells his children the mysteries, they'll be hearing it secondhand. But if he tells them to be loyal and trustworthy servants and honor the king, then they will merit becoming confidants of the king. They'll hear it from the king. They don't need to hear it from him. It's a cheapening of the king's secrets if the king is right there and he shares them. 
It's much more honor to the king and honor to his secrets and confidences if he, the king sees that his closest, most trusted advisor has told his children to be equally trustworthy, and then he will trust them directly. So Yaakov wanted to reveal the end to his children, but then he realizes they don't need to hear about the end. They need to hear about the, the hastening. <laughs> yeah, let's do it quick. And it depends on their potential. So instead of giving them the deadline and telling them when the Cates is, instead he gave them brachos, self-knowledge so that they could perfect themselves. So that would be quicker. Okay. So that's where he goes with that. And then he's going to give us some outcomes of it. Okay. In this context, let's understand the implication of Livne Vinehem, that Hashem brings a redeemer to the children's children. He says that's a very interesting phrase. Actually, he doesn't say this, but I saw it elsewhere. It's an interesting phrase. Why doesn't it just say, Umevi Goa Livnehem? It's a really interesting question. Brings a, brings a redeemer to their children. Why their children's children? It's a hint to the Shvatim, to the 12 tribes. It's the children of the children of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. Because adding Bnei Bnehem doesn't really add, I'm saying we're so many generations already from them that it doesn't, doesn't actually mean like the grandchildren, like, you know, well, I guess it did, Moshe Rabbeinu or whatever, but it's the children's children as a hint to this medrash about the 12 tribes. A Ben is a bone, Ben is a builder. A child is a builder of the father because the child builds onto the base of the father. So you have a father, and he lays down a level of stones, right? And then the child comes, he's the ben, like Evan, Av and Ben is stone, right? So he lays another layer. He stands on top of the accomplishments of the father and does more. And then the next one on top of that, and the next one on top of that, that's the Vnei Vnehem and the, what was that pasuk that we have back here? Od Evnech Venivnes, you shall yet be built and... You sh I shall yet build you and you'll be built, is the Vnei Vnehem. This is what brings us, this is that Goel in the present tense. The children having children, having children, having children, each one passing on that loyalty and that inner passion that doesn't ever quite get erased, that's loyal to Hashem. He says that answers, that's the Mabit who says, how can we possibly ever daven for Geula? We had Nevi'im before us. Yirmiyahu was davening for Geula. Mordechai and Esther were davening for Geula. The Chavetz Chaim was davening for Geula. The Rambam was davening for Geula. Rashi was davening for Geula. Rav Gaon was davening for Geula. All the Chazan, Rabbi Akiva was davening for Geula. And we think that I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna say a prayer and Hashem will say, oh, Saramalia will send will send the redeemer. Are you kidding? Like who am I joking? Like that's that's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Why? Because Geula is cumulative and ongoing. Umevi Goel, Livnevenehem, every generation is another brick on top. It's not because we are great that we think Hashem will hear our prayers and send a redeemer. It's not because we're great. It's because we're very, very small, but we're standing on the shoulders of giants. 
So maybe we're standing on the shoulders of someone who's 10 feet tall. And with us on their shoulders, they can reach to 10 foot two. But that two inches might be what it takes. That's Livne Vinehem. It's that we are smaller than the generations before us, but we are in addition to the generations before us. We don't stand on our own. Livne Vinehem means we're the descendants and we are standing upon the ones before us, on the ones before us. We are cumulative. We are a cumulative nation and family, which is a very reassuring feeling to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Okay, so let's see what time it is. Do we start Melech Ozer Umoshia Umagain? <laughs> or do we just go straight? Is it, should we use that to introduce next time? What do you want to do? Kind of borderline. It's a bit late. Okay, we'll stop here. We'll stop here, and next time Melech Ozer Umoshia Umagain. I have to figure out. I think I might make it pretty close to Pesach since we're prepared through till the end of the bracha. Okay. It's the preparation that makes it hard to give this year, <laughs> not, not, the, the not the delivery. <laughs> right. So I hope. I hope, I hope. Yeah. And then I always notice weeks. this is Karen Yeshua. Ah, Our so you think will, of mommy. Yeah, will redeem us. Yay. But we're supposed to be the generation that that happens for. Well, the only, the only tradition we have as to exactly when Mashiach will come is this medrash that we just read, oh. which says that he didn't tell us. In other words, the Masora that we have about when Mashiach will come is that we don't have a Masora yes. about when Mashiach will come. So I think, did I read that out loud here? I think I read that out loud here, the letter from the Rebbe Hanan Wasserman to Rav Schwab, where he says, no, we do not have a tradition of when Mashiach will come. Yes. We know he's coming. He's on his way. We've already, most, of, most of the prophecy is already history. We don't know exactly when, and that's okay. What we can do, because most of the prophecies are history, is we can look back at the prophecies and remember that they're prophecies. Remember what it is from that point of view and realize how it has happened, how it has all played out so exactly in the way that it's listed in the Torah and in the, in the Gemara the explanations of it, and we can see how it has played out. And that is reassuring to us to know, like Rabbi Akiva, that just as those prophecies came true, the other prophecies come true. Right? Rabbi Akiva smiled when he saw the fox on the Temple Mount. Yes. And everyone cried. Why? Because just as that prophecy has come true, so I now have the confidence, that's that Amuna again, right? Based on what I have seen and known and experienced, then I can be reassured and trust that also the other prophecies will come to pass. Yeah. So that is, um, we'll see you next week, Emir Tashem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Did you tell, uh, yes, she's okay. good.